Welcome everyone. Tonight is the 23rd of March, just a little bit before Palm Sunday, and then we begin Holy Week next Sunday. Let us go to the throne of grace in prayer. Merciful, eternal, and gracious God, we give thanks and praise to you for the multitude of blessings you bestow upon us, especially for the privilege of walking with you during this Lenten season, to behold you, to see how you had an obedient heart, a loving heart, a trusting heart, a faithful heart, and so many others. Help us, O oh Lord, to be like you in so many ways, so that those who meet us realize that we have been with you and spent time in your presence. Bless our study this evening and be with all of those who are in need, especially do we pray, uh, pray for the two Joyce's in our congregation. Joyce Everhart, who is having uh, collarbone surgery on Thursday, as well as Joyce Carls, who will be having uh, knee surgery on Friday. We pray that the surgery will go well. We also pray for a young lady by the name of Sophia, that who is in need and dire care of your loving hand. Touch her, O oh God, with your grace and with your love, and heal her if it is according to your holy will. We pray that you would grant wisdom to those who care for her and all of those who are concerned about her. Bless our study of the conclusion of chapter 4 tonight. Help us to see something we have not seen before. In your most holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. All right. If you look at chapter 8, where we left off last time, um, let me just uh, read the last <coughs> of the scripture, and then this will try to close uh, the session today. So, verse 28 and following, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking on the palace of his kingdom in Babylon. The king said, isn't this the great Babylon that I built for a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came down from heaven. It is spoken to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom has passed away from you. You will be driven away from humans, and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. Grass will be fed to you like grass is fed to the bowls, to bowls, excuse me, and seven times will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the human kingdoms and he gives it to whomever he wishes. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from humans. So he ate grass like bulls and his body was wet with the dew of the sky until his hair grew long like the feathers of eagles and his nails like the claws of birds. And the end of the time, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. So I blessed the Most High, and I praised and glorified the one who lives forever, because his dominion is an eternal dominion, and his kingdom lasts forever and ever. All of the inhabitants of the earth are considered nothing, and he does as he wishes with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. So there is none, so there is no one 
who can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and for the honor of my kingdom, my splendor and glory returned to me. So my counselors and nobles sought me. I was reinforced over my kingdom, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, because all his works are true and his ways are just. All who walk in arrogance, he is able to humble. And the question where we're going to pick up here, we don't have a lot uh, left here, but we will uh, try to get that done this evening. Um, why might it have been necessary that Daniel had to include how the dream was fulfilled? Why do you think that is? So we see God's mercy and know that there was ultimately he was doing it for the honor and praise to go to him and that he is the ruler, that God is the ruler of everything. So how does the mercy um, show that God is the ruler of everything? Well, because he always fulfills his promises, so it shows that uh, even though it was a year before that he had this dream, that he didn't follow through with it as soon as um, the problem arose, and that he did exactly what was necessary to put him in his place, Nebuchadnezzar in his place, and bring him back to... Reality. Um, well, yeah, that he is the one and only God. Okay. Uh, I will begin by saying, when God says something, he means it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, consider, for example, when in the Garden of Eden, he said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, death, you will die. In the Hebrew, it's emphatic, double time death. Death, you will die. Mot tamut. And so when God says something, he's going to carry it through. Okay, uh, think of Joshua. On the seventh um, day, he told the uh, priest with their uh, long horns to walk around seven times and just blow. And the walls came down, right? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, God does what he says, and he says what he does. That's number one. Number two, which you touched on emphatically, and that is the um, God is the authority over the universe and everything else in, uh, in the whole world. And for that, I want you to quickly take a look at um, Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. If somebody would be kind enough to read that, that would be very helpful. Matthew 28. Then, Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, That's it. That's enough. What 
are the words of Jesus. All authority. All authority where? On heaven and earth. You can connect that also with Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 verses through 11, where the Lord will exalt him over everything, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Okay? So Philippians shows you the magnitude and the power of God. We always say in the three offices that the Lord Jesus himself holds, prophet, priest, and king. He's king over the world, but he pays close attention to his church. Okay? Thirdly, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, number one, our Heavenly Father, when He says something, He's going to carry it out. Okay? The only time that we know that He relented is in Isaiah, excuse me, when He told the king that He's going to die, King Ahaz, and then He prayed to God, and God forgave Him and lengthened His life. That's the only time that we know why, who can give God counsel. So that's the number one, that God is the authority over everything. That's number one. Secondly, let me just read my notes because it'll be helpful. The official writings of ancient Near Eastern monarchs were intended to glorify the throne. Do you know that with all of the archives that they found in Egypt, there's not one mention of the Egyptians leaving the country, or the Pharaoh and uh, um, all the chariots drowned. Do you realize that? In all of the stuff that they have unearthed, why? They will never uh, write in their books about loss. Hmm. Hmm. Never. It's the same things, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, we, I suppose there are historical records in our nation, but you don't know about it till you really begin to dig. Where do you get it? At least in this country now, people write bibliographies and stuff. Hmm. That's when it's begin to come out. But, you know, most of the time. And if you watch our nation's, um, our nation's uh, movies during World War II, was the Americans who won everything, right? Mm -hmm. There's hardly ever a defeat story ever told. They're always trying to elevate who they are. So that's something to remember. Secondly, it would be out of left field for arrogant Nebuchadnezzar to relate such an embarrassment. He would not want to tell people this is exactly what happened to him. So Daniel needed to do that. Ultimately, and I think you said that, Michelle, Ultimately, so that the glory will go to God and not to man. Because what's the first word Jesus says in Exodus 20? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? You should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. You never put God, uh, you never put anything in the presence of God because God is jealous, right? That's what Luther says. So we have to understand uh, that when Daniel addresses this and keeps it for the records, and it is very plausible that the king himself did not remember. He, he, he lived like an animal eating 
among the field, grass and stuff like that. So no protein, survived somehow, some way. But when you think his hair was like uh, feathers and his uh, claws, his fingernails were like claws, seven years without cutting your fingernails. Right. Okay. And so when you think of all of these things, God is ordaining and it is possible that at that specific time, because it says seven seasons, we've talked about it before, that God says, okay, now is the time. Uh, think of the example of Dorcas, where Peter comes and touches her, or Tabitha and mm-hmm. Dorcas. And she had been dead for a few days. And uh, so Peter says, arise. Well, God raised her up. So she comes back to her senses. The same thing's right here. Because you could be spiritually dead and physically dead. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, he's physically dead as well as spiritually. So God raises him up this way. Okay, second question. Is God patient with King Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Right on the money. And I think you said that earlier. Could you tell me how much did God give him? It was a whole year. It was 12 months exactly. Boy, I don't know if I would have enough patience like that. No kidding. Well, and it kind of reminds me of like when you try to do something right and you have a bad habit. And you, you know, like when he first realized that he was sinning, maybe he tried to be good for a while and then he reverted back to his old ways and he's like... Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> Forget it. I give up. I, I don't think it's going to, you know, really happen or something like that maybe, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, um, uh, I was just explaining, who was I explaining that? I think it was at the, um, uh, I had my region DPs. They were all here. I had eight of them here. Actually, one didn't come, but we had the president, and we had, uh, the president of the Senate was here. And, you know, in Psalm 103, which we will be using tomorrow, it says God is long-suffering. Well, in the Hebrew, it doesn't really have that word. All it has is af aroch, long nose. Long-suffering comes from the Hebrew idiom af aroch. And to explain this to you, I'll, I'll try to make this story short. Um, in essence, it just says the steam of God's anger has not reached his nose. That's the long-suffering terminology. And when uh, my wife and I got married, my mom and dad came over to this country. Where we lived, uh, we lived right next to her aunt. And across from her aunt, Jeannie's aunt, uh, there was a lady who made dolls and all kind of beautiful things with pheasant feathers. And so her aunt and my mom got along well. And she says, why don't you guys come over? We'll go to the neighbors. And we'll take a look at all of these products. And while we were there, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my parents, my wife and I, my aunt, <laughs> all were together. And the lady of this shop says, why don't you come to my house? I have a whole bunch. <coughs> Excuse me. I have a whole bunch more. You can see. If you want to buy some, you can take on my. So we all decided to go. My father chose to stay and wait for us. We said we'll be gone 20 minutes. We got back two hours later. Keep in mind, my mother speaks no English. We are driving up and my father-in-law is sitting 
at the edge of the stair to his sister's house. And my mom from right next to me, she says in Arabic, Nabil, if somebody touched his nose, he would bleed to death. That's an idiom. Mm. He is so angry that if you touch his nose, it will just splatter with blood from his anger. He is so angry. My mother did not speak with him. She just looked at him and she said, Nabil. And I said to my colleagues, I says, that's what it means, God is long-suffering. It hasn't reached his nose, and even if you touched him, he's not going to bleed. That's the long-suffering terminology. He's patient, he's kind, right? And so, indeed, he was for Nebuchadnezzar for a whole 12 months. But when the 12 months, and God puts a limit. He never tells us how long it is, but he gives us a limit. And when that limit is done, then we have uh, his judgment to take care of. Okay? He was kind of even more patient than that if we think about it. Because in this specific instance, he allotted those 12 months. But even but there was another that, there was another episode before that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like with the furnace. And he, he was like, oh, your God is the most high. And then went back to his old ways. It's like, how many times yeah. we got to do this? Yeah. Well, Peter just asked the Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? And what did he tell him? 77. And most people say, well, it's 490. If you are counting, if you are counting, well, if you're counting, though, you're keeping record. And the idea is don't keep a record. That's the idea. Okay. Um, three, verse 30 shows us the foolish arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. How does he show that and what is the problem? Bingo, right on the money, right on the money. He said, isn't this the great Babylon that I built for a royal residence by the might of my, look at me. And you've seen me do this before, right? What's the center of sin? I, I always, when I write sin, if you've ever seen me on the blackboard or the whiteboard or the chalkboard, I put sin in a small S, a small N, but the I is about a foot big because I am the problem, right? I sin, and so is Nebuchadnezzar. He takes all the credit without once acknowledging that God placed him in that office. Remember, we'll be, we'll be talking about that in chapter 5, that God ordains all things. God ordains all things. Okay. Read 12, uh, Luke 12, 16 through 21. What connection can be made in that portion, please? Luke 12, 16 through 21.
people anymore? Huh? Do you not have Zoom people anymore? I have one. Rose is with. Oh, hi, Rose. Hello, Rose. They're telling you hi, Rose. <laughs> All right. Patsy, why don't you read that for us, please? Loud so Rose can hear you. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who who lays up treasure for himself and that is not rich toward God. Bingo. So what connections do we have here? What similarities? He's taking all the credit for himself, not realizing that God sent the rain, not realizing that God sent the sun, not realizing he allowed the crops to grow. So if he would have said, thank you, God, for all this wonderful thing, and thank you, because of this, I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to... Would it have been okay? Or well, I would, I would think, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'll think of my father-in-law. Uh, Lord, I, I, every single day we prayed. I mean, he had a relationship. I think you've heard me say this before. He was a, more of a spiritual father than my own father was. My father wasn't, you know, raised up in the faith. Uh, but my father-in-law, there's never a day he didn't give thanks to God, you know. Whenever he would have a great crop, he would just pray, thank you, Father, for the wonderful crops we've had. Thank you for sparing us from the hell. Thank you for these calves that we didn't have a lot of losses. And so when he needed to build an extra barn or granary to store it, the credit went to God because God gives you wisdom. How do I connect this? Go to the story of uh, Joseph. Seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. And what did he do? Say, build barns, mm -hmm. because God has blessed us in this way. He's giving us, it's the same things right here. I, I would say yes on that, even though we don't know since it's only hypotheses, mm -hmm. but I would say more than likely had he given the credit to God where all the produce, all the crops, everything was a gift from God. James 1 says, everything that we have is a gift from the Heavenly Father, right? Mm -hmm. Every gift we have, even my spouse or your spouse or your children, those are all a gift from the Lord. Okay. Why in the end is Nebuchadnezzar struck with insanity? Because he deserved it. Well, you are correct. Uh, I mean, you, are, you can actually write that down. He deserved it because he acted foolishly. Okay. But who was the central focus for him? 
himself. His arrogance and his pride were the culprit that brought him down, right? And in the book of Proverbs, and forgive me, I don't know the verse exactly, it says pride comes before the fall, right? And in Matthew 27, it says uh, 24 through, let's see, I got to think now. Matthew 27, uh, no, Matthew 7, 24 through 29, um, you know, the Lord gives the description between building on sand and building on rock. And the person who um, built on the rock, the house lasted against the storms of life. And those who built on the sand, great was their fall. And I talked about it, I think it was last Sunday, Megali, the great fall that happened. So he was uh, self-centered, pride, arrogant, and he did not give credit to God as the ruling authority over all things. Did I have the right scripture? Alicia, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, 29, something like that. Uh, the next one I just gave you, but uh, here at least they give you the verse. Michelle, do you want to read the verse of James 1, 17? Sure. Please. It's just in the last, towards the end. Okay. That's all right. Uh, you're getting to the concordance. You're going to go to Revelation, First and Second John, just before Hebrews. First and Second Peter, Hebrews. First and Second John. Okay, back. Keep going. First Peter. Keep going. James. James 1.17. Every gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Right. Every gift and every perfect gift is coming from above, from the Father of all grace, right? And so whatever we have, regardless, even my calling to this place, this is a gift from God. I didn't seek it. It was given to me. Okay, and I came from this country. I didn't have a wife. God brought a wife for me. With my wife, we have three children. That's a gift from God. So my car is a gift from God. My house is a gift from God. My clothing are a gift of God. If you think with that mentality, your focus is constantly on the giver. If you don't think about this, oh, I'm just going to wear this. Well, I worked for it. Yeah, you did. But who gave you the job? So that's why it's very helpful for us to keep our eyes focused on that who gives the gifts, right? The giver of all good gifts. Uh, why does Daniel, what does Daniel mean by saying God's judgment came as the words um, were in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth? Why? Or what does it, what does Daniel mean by saying? Just means like when you're parenting children, you need to have the action 
follow right away when they do something wrong so they connect it with, you did this wrong, so now you're punished for this wrongdoing that you did. Um, right on the money, 100% right, I would only add this. As soon as he spoke his arrogant words of pride, God said, this is it. Bam. It's almost like a lightning struck. He didn't have a chance to say, well, I got to clean my desk. I got to tell the queen. I got to do any of this. Well, that was, that was the end of it. Um, at the end of time, whatever that period we talked about it, it says seven season. I don't know how to translate it apart. At the end of time, Nebuchadnezzar does what? And what does this mean? Now, on this one, you need to think outside the box a little bit. Okay? At the end of the time, Nebuchadnezzar does what? And what does this mean? This is at the end of the time. Actually, after he's already been a madman, are you yep, saying? Yep, yep. Oh. At the end of the time. I see. I was thinking at the end of the time when God was... No, that was, that was already uh, the previous question. Immediately, the Lord struck him at that period of seven times, whatever that period was, seven years, seven months, I don't know. I don't think anybody actually know because we just we just don't know in the language. Is this when he's turning his eyes towards heaven? Very good. And his sanity was restored. Very good. And what does that mean, though? That you he, are you that are he was you are insane, that he was acting in a in a, an insane way. In a sane way. In, in an insane way. He was not being sane. He was not acting well, at this point, before. Before he was... Uh, and uh, now that's restored. Right, that is restored. That. So and this is what I'm asking you to look. What does this mean? What you are saying is correct. He was insane. Now he is sane. What does this mean? That the eyes of a believer are opened. Okay, you're hot. You're getting close. I want a little bit more. Thank I you. like her answer. <laughs> well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe I can uh, have you look at the life of Jesus, study his life. Think of uh, when he needed to feed the 5,000. What did he do? Gave thanks to God, blessed the food. He lifted his eyes heavenward. He's acknowledging God as the giver. So when he is lifting his eyes heavenward, he is looking to God as the supplier of all the good gifts. This is why I said you are hot, close, but I wanted a little bit more accuracy in the sense that when a believer lifts his eyes heavenward. Now, if you go to Luke 18, 
The Pharisee, in pride and arrogance, say, well, look at me, God. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And whereas the repentant sinner beat his chest and never looked up. He looked down. He couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven because he was so awestruck by the shame of that stuff. So, Okay, I got a question. Yes, please. Um, when Daniel, you know, this is actually a little bit unrelated. You know how they always talk about them praying at certain times of day? Like Correct. Jews, mm-hmm. And was that at like 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, something like that? Well, they do have specific prayers that they go and... I don't know if I can answer you uh, because I've never was in the temple at those, but they do have what they call, you know, the morning prayers and the noon prayers and the evening prayers. And you will find these in our church body too, like matins and vespers and morning prayers. If you go to the uh, hymnal after page 200 and stuff, there's matins and vespers. And then did they always face towards Jerusalem Jerusalem because the temple was there? It's still today. And then didn't they go into a prostate position when they were praying? Which is not lifting your your eyes up to heaven, isn't it? Going down to the ground. Right, they do, they do. Uh, But, you know, like... For us at the church, I'm in front and I'm praying with my eyes closed, but sometimes I lift my hands up also in the sense of doing that. You know, it isn't mandated anywhere in the scripture. This is what you have to do. It's what makes you feel comfortable. But if you look at Jesus' example, which is, I ask you, he lifted eyes heavenward and said, Father, I thank you for mm-hmm. these gifts, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically in the upper room, we are told... You know, he gave thanks. Okay. Well, I never really thought about that, but like at my mom and dad's church, that's what a lot of the people when they're singing, they'll be like, oh, yeah, know. and which is fine. I don't. Again, I I don't have, I don't have, I don't look down on them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like, but when I pray, what I you know, I went to the assemblies of God for quite some times, and so that was done. But a lot of it was, you know, it's kind of like bringing attention. Mm-hmm. Is it wrong? I can't say it is because I, I can't look into their the hearts. hearts. Yeah. I can't see their hearts. You I know. remember one time I was driving down the road and I said a prayer out loud. And Caitlin's like, Mom, don't close your eyes when you're driving. Yeah. Like, you can pray with your eyes open. That's right. <laughs> no, I, And I do that, actually. Like when we get in the car, we all go. Like Thursday, I have a meeting in Alexandria before my wife and I leave. We hold hands and we pray for safety and protection. When we come back, we do the same. I've always done that. And, but in this case here, in this particular case, we do know that when he I lift his eyes heavenward, he finally says, okay, God, I got the message. You are God and I'm not. That's in essence what's going on right here. Okay? Uh, what does Nebuchadnezzar then confess about God? What does Nebuchadnezzar then confess about God? That he will have no end, that he has eternal 
dominion that will live forever. Okay. He's a, he is saying that uh, God is the eternal sovereign Lord, that he is nothing in his presence, that he does what he wants to do, and no one is there to stop him. All of that is in that prayer. Um, you know, so he, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God over all things. He acknowledges that he is nothing, he's empty. He does whatever he wishes. Nobody can compare to him. There's not a man on earth or one of the gods we make that could compare to him. And he acknowledges that his kingdom, which I think you said so well, Alicia, that his kingdom and his eternity is forever and forever, right? So it's very important for us. From whose hands is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom giving and or returned? Very good. God ordains all things. We will, we will look at that uh, next chapter more specifically about all of these. Out of the hands of God. And if you look at, um, uh, at the Psalms, the Lord established the kings. He sets kings in places, right? Romans 13, um, God ordains that all the governments will be obeyed. He put the government in there. What does this show or reveal about God? He's in control. Very good. He's in control. One other aspect of that. He's in control. Uh, I will add this. His promises are trustworthy. Every promise he makes, he will carry through. His word is true. Okay? It's not a lie. When God speaks, it's true. And he gives in regard to his mercy, not because we think we deserve it. Okay? Twelve. Um, even though Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges and gives praise for God's power and might and authority, what major characteristics of God does Nebuchadnezzar not acknowledge. And this is really important. I want to spend some time on this. And I do ask you to look at Luke 2, 29 through 32. Luke 2, 29 through 32. You should know that very familiar. What do you think? The salvation. Bingo. Right on the money. He never acknowledged that God is the God of our salvation. He's the one who saves. He acknowledged that he has dominion. He acknowledges he has power. He acknowledges his kingdom has eternally, eternity. 
but he never associates that with the salvation story or redemption story. Never sees it. And the next question is to follow. What is the difference between expressing the knowledge of God and his power and personal trust and reliance on God as the gracious God who forgives sins and grants eternal life through faith alone? What is the difference between expressing the knowledge of God and his power and personal trust? Tell Rose she gets the answer to this one. <laughs> Rose, did you hear what they told you? Rose. Okay, so the, 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 we'll give you the hard one. She said they're going to give you the hard one. Yeah. You want to try, Rose, or? Well, you know, we we all kind of like we can we can recite the verses, we can say how we believe in the Bible, but truly, how we live is how people. Um, Yeah, it's just how we are. It's kind of like some people are book smart, but they have common sense. Okay, very good. People that know the Bible really well, but have no faith. Okay, I mean they they they, Uh, it's like a storybook to them. Yeah, I was listening, and I think I shared it. uh, I don't know. I just shared it recently. I got a video from my brother-in-law of a Muslim who is singing Christmas. I mean, she's dressed with the full hijab, and she is singing Christmas songs. And she was on television. And the guy says, how could you as a Muslim? She says, oh, I only think of it as art. And to really help you grasp what I was getting at with my question, and it is this. And Rose, thank you for your answer, and you are pretty close and very accurate in what you stated. The, the difference is between knowing a person or knowing about the person. Do you understand the difference, okay? If somebody asks me, do I know Rose or Michelle or Alicia? The answer is absolutely. Now, do I know you as well as your husband does? Absolutely not. Okay? So I know of you, but I do know you, whereas somebody that I've never heard of before or never seen or met, but I know of them, but I really don't know them. This is kind of in here. He knows of this God, but he really doesn't know him. He knows about him, but he doesn't really know him. And I think this is kind of what you alluded to, having head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. Okay, that's very important. Okay. Instead of acknowledging God's power, might, and authority, what does God desire for Nebuchadnezzar as he does for all people? And... um, Let's, let's do this. Can I assign this for, just for ease? 
Uh, Alicia, you want to look at uh, Ezekiel 18? Mm -hmm. Did we skip over number 14? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Let's go back. God's word tells us that we cannot confess Jesus Christ as Lord without the power of the aid of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? And how is this different than acknowledging Jesus as an historical person that he did many wonderful miracles? My, my apologies, I uh, did not realize I skipped it. Kind of the same thing as question 13. It's one thing to, like, we believe that he is Lord and, and gives us life. Um, but some people would see the Bible as a history book. He's just a man. We see him as Lord. Very good. I will add, we live and breathe through the power of the Holy Spirit. What we acknowledge, what we do, how we act, how we react, is a reflection of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Because there is no way that I can love you, ladies, as you are, uh, apart from the Holy Spirit. There's no way that I can serve you apart from the Holy Spirit. There's no way that I can care for you apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can confess Lord, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ without the aid of the Holy Spirit. Okay? For example, if you go to the Islamic faith, they have Jesus has done many more miracles in the Quran than Muhammad does. Okay? But they don't believe that he is the Savior. They know of him, but they don't know him. The verbiage, the verbiage is really different too um, between people who see Jesus as a historical person um, because they will often say, like, was. Right. Where we. Is. Is, is the verb we would use. Um, because he, Hebrews, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, do not change Malachi 3. So you have all of these, uh, you know, all of these words. I am the great I am. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so in all of these aspects, uh, there's a big difference between seeing Jesus as the Savior of the world or looking at Jesus as a person who came and walked the dusty roads of Palestine. You know, and one of the things that I just think, I think I shared that just recently, um, if we do not teach uh, the resurrection from the dead, then why even have a church? This is what makes me so angry. Your parents go to ELCA church, and it makes me so angry that they're no longer... Um, they used uh, to. They're Baptists. <laughs> Mom and dad are Baptist now? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. they got off from the ELCA? When uh, they had the big argument about the gays and lesbians, that's when they left the church and became Baptists. Instead. Okay, okay, but, so, yeah, they were. Uh, but uh, ELCA, and this is kind of troubles me more than, they deny the physical resurrection of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Well, if you deny the resurrection, what do we have? 
when does that? Okay, so sometimes I'm like, what? Because I grew up ELCA and we, I was taught that. Right. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. I am 34. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about you as far as age is oh, concerned. I'm talking okay, okay. about the downhill slide of the ELCA. Okay. And do you do you know that at one time we and the well there was no ELCA we were together yeah. in worship and in fellowship there was no difference between us and you could commune we could commune yeah. I could go and preach at their church they could come and preach at my church in the uh, early late sixties early seventies they joined they decided to join LCA and uh, LCA. Lutheran Church of America and American Lutheran Church. They joined forces. And out of that came the ELCA. But the ELCA began to slowly go down the hill. And as soon as they opened the gate to um, women's ordination, there was nothing to hold them back. It's well, gonna... And Jackson said it really well. He's like, if you open the door just a crack, everything's going to start to come through and... There's no black and white anymore, you know, it's just... This is what's happening with the Equality Act, with the LGBTQ. Yeah. You know what's coming down the pike now? Bestiality? And what's that? Oh, what? man, that's... Marrying that's a dog or a cow. Yeah. Yeah. Or the next thing is you're going to be able to marry your dad or your brother. There is no limits now. Everything is open. My president of the Senate, he was sitting at my house, just on a table like this. We were talking about this. He says, it scares me to death what's happening with this. Because once the gate is open, mm -hmm. you can't get the horse back in there. And that's what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just what's happening right now in our nation is literally going back to the time of the Romans. The Romans practiced all of these things. Mm -hmm. And what brought, what brought the demise of the Roman Empire? Broke, broke of the family. There was no family. And when they elevated animals above man. Those were the two things. And what do you see now in our nation? And nothing against you because you love dogs or you. <laughs> No, seriously, please, please hear me. But have you realized, have you noticed how many people have dogs and cats nowadays? Mm -hmm. And this is part of my family. No, sorry. He's a dog. She's a cat, whatever. They're not part of your family. They're different. And if you go to the stores, hallways hallways for animal. And now look how many different, um, like Amazon, but for dogs. Toys for dogs, blankets for dogs, you name it. I mean, it is, or you can sponsor a dog for $19 a month. <laughs> or health insurance for dogs. Oh, yeah, or cancer for dogs or whatever. So, you know, we can go on and on and on, but... There is that difference of acknowledging uh, and confessing Jesus as Lord and thinking of him as the historical figure. Well, the historical figure is not going to help you. 
And this is why I had you look at Luke in the sense of, um, what do you call it? Um, the salvation is missing. Well, if Jesus is not my savior, what good is he going to do me? What good is he going to do me? Okay. Let me ask this. We have three questions, and it's past eight. Do you want me to finish this, or do you want to? I'm going to have you read a couple of uh, portions of the scripture. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Okay. Alicia, I want you to look at Ezekiel 18, 23, and 32. Michelle, Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Patsy, 2 Peter 3, 9, and Rose, 1 Timothy 2, 4. So Ezekiel 18, please. I'll give you a second to get to where you need to, and then. Do I take any pleasures in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Yeah. Uh-huh. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the southern Lord. Sovereign Lord, repent and live. Very good. Okay, let's read them all and we'll continue. Uh, Michelle, Ezekiel 33. Where are you at? Jeremiah, so close. Keep no, go the other way though. No, you're going back to Isaiah. You want to go ahead. Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. We have Jeremiah, then Lamentation, then Ezekiel. Thirty-three, eleven. No. Okay. Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Very good. Uh, Patsy, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Keep not going. Not that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Very good. And finally, Ephesians, right? Oh, sorry, sorry, Timothy. First okay. Timothy two four. Sorry about that. I actually have that one highlighted. Well, mm-hmm. good. Who desires all people? Yeah. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth? Very good. If you notice in all of the verses that I highlighted for you, every single one of them shows God never wants to send anyone to hell. Never. He's slow and patient and steady. He keeps inviting. That's why he says, turn to me and live. Repent and live. He does not want. 
He does not take pleasure in saying, you deserve this, I'm going to send you to hell. He does not do that. He wants us to be aware. He's merciful. He's compassionate. Um, And of course, when we by faith repent, God is more than sufficient to do that. Tomorrow in the bulletin that we'll have, I'll be um, talking in one of the petitions in the prayers I talk about um, excuse me, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. You know, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses us from all our righteousness. So God is faithful. If we repent, if we turn away and realize repenting is, I'm completely changing routes, right? If I'm heading north, I'm going south. If I was south, I'm heading north. That's the activity that we have to do. So when we think of all of these things... God desires for Nebuchadnezzar and for every single one of us and all the children of mankind that we would be his forever. And the final verse, God does not desire that anyone should die, but that all would be saved. I mean, he comes out clearly in 1 Timothy 2 and 4. He desires all people to be saved. This is why he sent his son. This is why he sacrificed and slayed his son for the benefit of all. So he can be with us. That's right. 16. Why might Nebuchadnezzar be reluctant to believe and trust in the true God and his mercy, life, forgiveness, and salvation? Why might he be? Because they had so many false gods I never thought of that, so I got to give you a good credit on this one, uh, Michelle. I did not think about that way. I was just thinking, uh, personally, I was just thinking, he's too proud and arrogant to realize that there is a God out there. Although, even though he acknowledged him because he had seen something, mm-hmm. and um, believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing. Because I believe, I see. Not because I see, I believe. And you can go to John at 20. Let's see, it would be 24 and to the end of the chapter where Thomas uh, says to the Lord, I won't believe unless I put my hand. And God said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Okay? So we believe, therefore we see. It's not that we see and then believe. Okay? So that's, that's very, very important. And the final question, why might people today be reluctant to believe and trust in the true God and his mercy and the rest of the... Um, question. If you're looking for that, is John 20, 24 and following. Um, yeah. Blessed are those who believe yet without seeing or have not seen yet believe either way. So why might people today be reluctant to believe and trust in the true God and his mercy, life, forgiveness and salvation? Okay, right on the money, uh, I, will, I will expound just a little bit more. 
in this country at least, in the West, I can't say about the rest of the world because I live here, in the West, the statement that I hear so often, I don't even need God. We have become such a wealthy nation. 